Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking Survivor 42, Episode 4, Vibe of the Tribe. Evan, what did you think of last night's episode? Solid, enjoyable, entertaining, and uh, I appreciated the, just like the social game. We saw a lot of social Mm -hmm. game. We got, I loved having a reward and an immunity challenge. It felt old school, and I came away from the episode feeling like, despite the fact that we didn't really get a ton of um, the other tribes, I mean, more so, again, again, I'm not good at <laughs> Green <right>. and orange. <laughs> um, well, no, but there's one tribe we got more of, the one with- um, Yeah, believe, orange we got more of. Okay, yes, yes, because we got a little bit of that random Jonathan, not backstory, but sort of backstory. Um, but- but nonetheless, I still walked away from this episode feeling like feeling like I have a sense of who's who amongst everyone. And even some of the smaller moments that happened, like Chanel's face when her team um got the got the immunity challenge, won the immunity challenge, that face alone, I was like, <laughs> that made the episode for me. It was like so <laughs> satisfying. So um I'm really good episode, but great cast. Yeah, I agree. I think this was a really strong. Well, it was a, it was a strong episode. It was solid in that again, once again we had no shipwheel island. So, yes. I feel like they have calibrated their uh use of the advantages because remember this time last season, I think it was episode 3, we had the advantage get an advantage get an episode. It was where we were just reading paper for an hour. And I think almost every episode, if not every episode had a shipwheel island trip on it and i think that we've had two episodes this season where we haven't gone to shipwheel island and i think that's striking the right balance because one it keeps all these excessive advantages out of the game i mean they're still in the game but there's not quite as many to keep track of and it feels like it matters more when it does happen the the stakes are just a little bit higher because there are less of those advantages going around but also like you said i think that the vote was interesting because it was just kind of an old school way of voting it was like somebody tried to make a plan and it got blown up and then blame was shifted around to different people and somebody went home as a result so I, I love that. I mean, we did see a shot in the dark played once again. I think we can talk about that uh, as we get to the vote because that's kind of been an interesting phenomenon this season compared to last season. But all in all, I really liked the way that just all of this played out and that we're getting to know these people in a real way. Plus, we got some good Jonathan content this episode. <laughs> Are you, are you coming around some, to Jonathan at all, Evan? I'm definitely not coming around to Jonathan. Um, <laughs> I don't have like any disdain for Jonathan, but I just feel like he's being given. Well, I mean, maybe we'll get to this, but that attempt at a backstory that was like, yeah. my dad made us wake up early every day and like, I don't know, run or whatever, or, or lift or run whatever. Run up a mountain and then, or something. Okay, run up a mountain. And then I was expecting it's like, and as a result, I've had to like, you know, 
suppressed my emotions all my life or something about masculinity or something. And it's like, we got, it was just like, I woke up every day and ran up a mountain and now I'm playing survivor. And it's like, okay, work. Like it was, I didn't really understand <laughs> what we were like getting to with that. But also, um, could they have pointed us at which of the two people in that photo was Jonathan? Because they both just looked like athletic they both young looked like, Yeah, Jonathan, potentially. Or I agree. It, it felt like, um, remember in the finale of last season where we got a backstory for Xander and it was just like, I used to be awkward and then I started working out. Right. It was very yeah. that. But even that, which don't get me wrong, that wasn't my favorite story either. <laughs> but at least that was sort of like beginning, middle, end. This was sort of like just beginning. Yeah. It was why is Jonathan strong? Well, it's yeah. because his father was running a boot camp. Yeah, and it's like, okay. Okay. And also, I would have loved a little bit more about like this whole, like I've wanted to play Survivor si since I was 16, and it's sort of like, okay, why? Like, what, like was there, I, again, it's like, I want to play this game because I love it. It's just not interesting narratively, despite the fact that I bet that that's true. It reminds me of like when I interview actors and it's like, I have to, you know, ask them a question about the current project that they're working on, and I'm just like, I don't care, but like, Sure, I understand that like you want to plug this thing or talk about this project or blah, blah, blah. But And with Jonathan too, it's like, sure. Like at this point, it is a prerequisite that the majority of the people playing Survivor grew up watching the show, loved mm -hmm. it, have a player that they emulated, always wanted to play this game, have given, sacrificed a lot to be here, blah, 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 blah. Like let's, let's enter that into like the de facto, um, you know, information that we come into this game knowing. And yet, yeah, it's a real shame that Survivor is so hellbent on ignoring all other reality shows because we have two former reality show contestants in this season. And I think that it genuinely plays into who they are or plays into the game because Tori was on the reality show Sequester, which I have never seen. But as someone pointed out to me, when they... The tribe first meets in the very first episode. Swathi knows who Tori is. She goes up to Tori and says, you're Tori, right? And Tori goes, oh, how did you know that? And then they just cut away from that scene. And it tells me that Swathi may know Tori from the show Sequester, which apparently she did quite well in and was like a very devious player. So that's kind of important backstory, especially if somebody recognized her. And then um, with Jonathan, Jonathan was on a show, I cannot remember the name of it, but it was basically like the children's version of Survivor. Do you remember this at all? Probably no. not, because you weren't deep into the Survivor world. <laughs> there was kind of two shows that were like Survivor for kids, and he was on one of them uh, when he was like around 16. And I think in his preseason press, he talked about, I did that show because I was like a teenager who just loved Survivor. I really wanted to try it. Obviously, I wasn't old enough to go on Survivor. I did that show and it just like, it just made me want to do the real thing so much more. And I've been trying ever since. And like, while that doesn't really necessarily add anything to his personality, it does tell us, okay, well, why did this person want to play Survivor since they were 16? Well, they played another game just similar to it, not just like it, but similar to it and have wanted to prove themselves you know, as an adult and whatever, like, like, it's sort of like an evolution of that story. But Survivor just can't admit that any show exists beside the Amazing Race or Big Brother. So which is interesting, because one of the things that the Real Housewives 
did in 2021 for the first time was really acknowledge the show. And that happened because they did this Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip, which is essentially a Real Housewives All-Stars. And they made a part of the show the different women talking about their franchises and, and talking about the effects of fame and how this has changed them and their families and discuss the world of housewives. Mm. And it was it enriched the show in so many ways. For instance, you had dialogue about the various housewives talking about Cameo and how much money that they make on Cameo. Mm. And I really wish that the show would not only... Um, not shy away from it. I actually think they should lean into it. I think it's really fascinating getting into the behind the scenes of people that have been on other shows, people that might know each other, all of those dynamics. I think that they're worth um, highlighting, like magnifying, because I think it's fun. It's 2022 now. We, you know, rather than have the new element be twists and changes and idols and, and blah, 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 that can be a sort of production change that I think would be really satisfying that's not impacting like the gameplay in some way, but more of like a change in sort of uh, the approach to the storytelling. Yeah, it reminds me of, I was a big Laguna Beach and the Hills fan when those were in their original runs. And in the original Laguna Beach, like you get a scene where they sit down to watch Laguna Beach, or is it Laguna Beach? Maybe it's so. The Only Way is Essex. I can't remember if Laguna Beach re- acknowledged the show or not, but The Only Way is Essex, which is like the British version of The Hills, sort of, they acknowledge the show. They acknowledge that they're on a show. Uh, they talk about how they were portrayed in previous episodes. They watch the show on the show. It's very meta, and I really, really like that. Whereas then The Hills, yeah, this is what I'm getting confused, The Hills pretended like these people weren't famous. Like they they pretended these were normal people living in LA. And as it went on, obviously like Lauren Conrad and Heidi Monta, there's big media things and they come into the the show. Like they, they impact the relationships in the show where Spencer's talking about LC in the media and that becomes a rift between LC and Heidi, but they can never acknowledge that it was in the media because they don't want to acknowledge that they're famous people. I think that with Survivor, it's, they're they're getting to a place. They're like almost there. Like this episode, we saw Romeo say, "Cue the montage of uh, uh, Swathy telling everyone that she he they're her number ones." And they do that. And like I think that that's kind of cute. But I would like to go up one step further. I would love to hear people talk about how they might be portrayed. Are they worried about how the audience might react to something that they're doing? That would be fun. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into the recap because the first scene is something I love. I've talked about it before, which is seeing the fallout from tribal council. There are so many tribal councils where things really get blown up, people's games get blown up, or a big blindside happens and somebody's betrayed. And then it's just suddenly in the next episode, it's the next day and we've moved on. And so I really, really love to see the fallout from Tribal Council. And here we got a lot of fallout from Tribal Council because the Vati tribe comes back from Tribal Council and Daniel is has had his whole game blown up, I think really flubbed things in the tie vote where High and Daniel had to decide between sending home Jenny or sending home Lydia or going to rocks. And obviously High got his way and Daniel sort of showed his whole ass at tribal and he comes back to camp and says look everyone i don't want to talk about this tonight can we talk about it tomorrow and the entire tribe is like no no no, no. we're we're talking about this 
now. And you have uh, Chanel throwing Daniel under the bus hard, telling everyone that he told her about Mike's idol, which I thought was really good because Chanel could have been in a lot of shit here. And Chanel has kind of gotten off scot-free because everything that Daniel said about Chanel at Tribal Council was true. It was Chanel targeting Lydia. Chanel did direct Daniel to vote for Lydia and she just denied, denied, denied. And then to have this piece of ammunition when they came back to camp to say, well, Mike, he told me about your idol. Now everybody knows about Mike's idol, I thought was kind of Chanel's only but best move. Also, High needs to explain himself to Mike because he didn't vote with Mike and Jenny. And they kind of come to an agreement here. I think Mike is wary of High, I would guess, but he tells him like, I'm on board with you and Lydia. So now we have a potential new three in the tribe, which puts Daniel and Chanel on the outs, but I don't see Chanel working with Daniel moving forward. So maybe Chanel will just temporarily join Mike, Kai, and Lydia. Maybe they'll just get rid of Daniel next opportunity they have. I can't imagine a situation where Daniel stays after all of this, unless... Unless he becomes the Tory of the, the tribe, where it's just kind of easy to keep him around because they can see right through him at this point. Um, where do you, what do you think is going to happen here with the dynamic on the Vadi tribe? Oh, I think Daniel's definitely going home, without question. I feel like uh, in the case of this tribe, it seems like everyone gets along really well. There's that moment later in the immunity challenge uh, between High and mm-hmm. what's Mike. the older guy's name? Mike. Sorry, my God, I'll I'll know them soon. Between <laughs> High and Mike, when they hug, and he and and Mike calls him his brother, and so you see moments like that where you get the sense that like there's just a lot of unity in this tribe, even amongst people that aren't necessarily in you know alliances. And Daniel just feels like the outlier. He just doesn't feel like he fits in with this tribe. And I just, I have to say, now that Jenny is gone and I lost my winner pick, Chanel, and I don't know if we get a new winner pick. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm standing Chanel. Was Jenny your winner pick? Yeah. Wow. That's so I sad. I know. Okay. Mine was Marianne, I believe. Well, you're doing better Which, than I am. I'm starting to come around to Marianne, I'll say. Let's, let's go to the reward challenge, though. Um, they're playing for 10 fish. to be delivered to their camp. And I think this correlates to the reward last season where they got, I think his name was Nathan, the local guy to come show them how to fish Mm -hmm. and how to live off the land. And I, I saw a lot of conversation on Twitter about this reward where people were comparing it to last season because the Yasa tribe, the yellow tribe with, you know, Evie and Tiffany and Xander, they won one fish. And people were saying, oh, all of a sudden they get 10 fish as the reward and Yasa only got one fish? Like, that seems unfair. No, no, no. That is a big mistake because Yasa did not win the challenge. Yasa came in second place. That's why they got one fish. The winners were Ua and they got the local to come show them how to teach them how to fish so that they can get those fish. So it's a false comparison. Correct the record. I want this done. This conversation's over. (laughs) So, So they are attached to ropes and they have to untangle themselves through a course and then like play basketball, I guess. And 
Marianne ha- uh, is cheering on her tribe. It's like she went to the Heather Graduate School of Cheering on Your Tribe. And Jeff says that it's as though Taku has been practicing this challenge for months because Taku, once again, the Orange Tribe, is blitzing through this entire challenge. Jonathan is once again just beasting through every step of the way. And so Jeff just can't believe it. He cannot believe that they're doing so well and that they can land baskets in a net. Oh wow. my God. I have to <laughs> say, I am struggling a little bit with Jeff lately. And it's funny because I remember like, I don't know if it was on our recap podcast or, or one of the interviews or something that we did where I talked about the fact that like, I kind of see Jeff like a RuPaul where I'm like, I just, I respect the... The, per- the human being and the, like, and the work that he's done to make the show great and, and sticking by it and blah, blah, blah. And that all remains. And yet, I just like, I don't know, something about, because I felt a certain way about 41, but then I ultimately came around. And then right now, I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I need Jeff on this show quite like I think that I used to think I needed him. He mm-hmm. just kind of, um, he's falling into the background in a way. Um Again, it's not like I have like an issue with Jeff so much as just like I feel like RuPaul right now is like having a moment on Drag Race. So I'm like falling back in love with Ru. And it's like I feel like Jeff needs he like needs to reinvent himself in some way on this show to like distinguish why he needs to be at the center of it. And like right now it's not coming through. Yeah, I too respect the work that Jeff has done and I respect the work that Jeff has had done. And <laughs> and I think that he did think that he reinvented himself for 41. Like I, like, I was just thinking, well, how could he reinvent himself? Well, he could take a break from Survivor. No, wait, that just happened. And he did kind of reinvent himself, but it's a more detached version of himself from reality. And I so I, I just think he's too far gone. I don't, I don't know that there's any saving Jeff. I did see a story. I don't know if it's a true story or if it's a rumor. And I don't really watch Big Brother, so I haven't looked into it. But I saw that there's talks that Julie Chen may not return to host the next season of Big Brother. And I think that that could set a really interesting precedent for a time when Jeff decides to part ways with Survivor. It would be kind of interesting if Jeff wanted to take a backseat and continue to executive produce but not host. But I, I just, I don't know if I see it. Like, what else is he going to have going on? Right. What's he going to do? Try a talk so show? It would so interesting um, to see someone else take a stab at this. It but anyway. Be, it would be fascinating. But there yeah, there could almost think... be a reality show for who will host Survivor. You know oh what I mean? Oh, my God. They should do, the, so the celebrity Survivor that they're attempting right now, whatever it's called, that <laughs> yeah. the winner of that should be the new host. And I think that couldn't, and, and they could incentivize people to do that show based off of it. You know, there's lots of ideas. Or I could do, like, a different host every season could be really fun. Um, I'm not opposed to bringing alumni in to potentially host. Anyway, but all this to say that I think, going back to the episode, I feel like Jeff's, uh, Commentary throughout the tribes has always been something that's dissected amongst the fans. Um, excuse me, commentary during the challenges. Did I say commentary during the tribes? Um, the commentary has always been something that's been dissected, but I just feel like lately, especially um, when we are doing challenges such as basketball, as you say, it's like we don't really need Jeff to like help us to understand. And then also just his preferential bias just mm-hmm. shows in a lot of this, a lot of the commentary. 
Mm-hmm. Well, there is one winner, and it is obviously Taku. I really love that there's one winner because with three tribes, yeah. you always get two winners. And I really, really like that there's one winner. And I hope that we see, I don't know if we will, but it would be fun to see sort of like another uh, immunity challenge where there's one winner and we're, we've got two tribes going to tribal. Of course, that would eat up a lot of time in a 45-minute episode. But I do like this idea of, look, winner takes it all. And the, if, it feels like the stakes are a lot higher. So even if it is just for 10 fish. But there is something that happens after Taku wins, which is that we see the Ika tribe kind of complaining about, not that it's not fair, but they're like, well, they've got Jonathan and he's just he's just kind of dragging them through these challenges. And of course, they're going to win. And Ika publicly calls that out when Tori talks about how, well, Taku has a Goliath on their tribe. I don't know that it's because they are such a great team, but it's kind of hard to go up against this superhuman. High also in a confessional calls him Thor. And so there seems to be some growing disdain for the disparity in athleticism between the tribes specifically, you know, targeted at Jonathan and and then there's fallout about it back at camp when sort of Jonathan's tribe mates are kind of saying, like, I really wish that they hadn't brought that up. I wish that because also Jonathan talked about how great and cohesive of a unit their four person tribe is as though uh, I, it felt like much ado about nothing. But it was it was as though people were mad that Jonathan may have exposed some kind of an alliance but they're a four-person tribe, so I don't know that there's really anything to expose here. But but there was talk about it, and there was talk about how Ika pointed out Jonathan's uh, athletic prowess, and it makes me wonder how much longer Jonathan is going to survive in this game, because if I was on Taku... Well, I would probably want to, I would want to bring him to merge because if they cut him before merge, they're never going to win another challenge. And then I feel like at the merge, the, the problem is if they want to stick together, it's going to be hard because they have two tribes who have an obvious target in Jonathan as a like somebody who could go on an immunity streak. But on the other hand, if you're Taku and you're say Lindsay, who is a little bit uh, like, uncomfortable with maybe some of the dynamics in the tribe. We've heard Lindsay say a few times that she's not sure about Marianne. She doesn't love that Marianne has advantages now. And so if if you're Lindsay, well, that's a great opportunity to flip to another tribe and say, let's, I'm willing to vote out my tribe, my old tribe mate, Jonathan. I just find it interesting that Jonathan doesn't try and like uh, pull back at all. I feel like not to jump ahead, but like with the mm-hmm. immunity challenge, for instance, it's like allowing Marianne to like literally just like play no role in the challenge whatsoever. It's like maybe you get to a point when like you have enough of a lead and everything. I- I'm not sure. I- I'm of two minds about it because I understand that it's like you kind of have to do whatever it takes to win. But I also feel like if you feel like you were called out in front of the entire cast about your athletic prowess, I might sort of say, "Mm, for the next one, I'm going to kind of like, you know, maybe like hit the brakes a little bit. But I do just want to point out one thing real quick, which is that I just think that we're in this phase right now of Survivor where it's like, 
these physical challenges or puzzles and nothing in between. And I think going back to like the food eating challenges or the challenges when they had to just like hold up signs that were like, who in the tribe is most likely to blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Um, I do think there's something to be said about intellectual challenges that aren't just puzzle related and the way that the show leans on creating challenges in which someone like a Jonathan can win them for the tribe. Like I think that if there was more cognizance about that aspect of people's frustrations in the challenge design, we could innovate some of the challenges in a way so that we find other, other things to um, other things to do. I just feel like there's a monotony around it that it's like Jonathan's going, not only is he, dominating right now he's going to keep dominating in challenges because we as viewers know the challenges that are on this show and they're all going to favor someone like jonathan that's Mm -hmm. how the show is designed but even things like there's so many old challenges they could bring but there's mazes that they could do yeah uh there are games of intellect where you know they're they're um, it's more of an individual challenge, but you know the one. I, it's back in season one, but they've done it many times. Where you're you're standing on a tile, you flip over your tile, you move. It's kind of a game of sort of I love not that. chess. But, I love that. You know, yeah. Uh, there are the the barrel roll. Yes, Jonathan might be good at that, but we don't know that Jonathan would be good at that. He's very top heavy. Like he doesn't have dizzy, the balance yeah. for it. But also, yeah. it doesn't really matter because he's one person and it's one on one. There's we haven't do we don't do a lot of one on one challenges anymore. And I know they're they're probably trying to stay away from the combat challenges, but there are one on ones that you could do that aren't so heavily con- there's like in that uh, in san juan del sur there's there's a combat challenge where they're balancing on a very thin beam over a mud pit and it's just the first person to fall off the beam loses and it all it takes is like a little swat or a move and the person can fall off like i miss those kinds of challenges where everybody in the tribe is put under the spotlight for at least a moment and you kind of prove yourself or you shit the bed and right. that that could work against you in the future. But these teamwork challenges where Jonathan's able to just drag his whole team through, look, it's impressive and I love to watch it, but but some variety would be nice, yeah. Uh, there is one other thing I want to say about this. Jonathan cracking the fish open. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Okay. He really broke that fish's back, you know, had me thinking, aye, kept me up at aye, night. Aye, okay. Aye. <laughs> of all of the men. I know. I know. I was wondering this. Like, I'm like, what, what is, like, is it that we have such a deficit of eye candy in the show these days that I'm like falling for Jonathan? I don't think that's what it is. I think you just... I'm just horny. Have a, yeah, horny, horny for Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that could be, uh, if we ever get dabble in merch, horny for Jonathan. <laughs> Although I'd want all of our merch to be like Heather related, but that could be, you know, maybe we add a little Jonathan. <laughs> okay. Yes, well, hey, play Heather in the movie. asking us about merch. So, hey, well, should we look into merch? We're going to get yeah, no let responses. I shouldn't even ask. No, but. if you want merch. Okay, wait, there's a thing that um, Legends Only, which is a fabulous podcast, does on, on their podcast where if they like, they'll ask a question to the audience and it'll say comment in the, uh, and for us it'll be the Instagram page, comment on our Instagram page and you pick an emoji. So let's do for merch. Let me think. Going in. Let's do. I'm just trying to see the different the clothing items that we could. Let's comment. 
with let's do the blue jeans. If you want Drop Your Buffs merch, comment on the Drop Your Buffs Instagram page, which is Drop Your Buffs Pod, mm-hmm. and comment blue jeans if you would be interested in merch. Yeah. Lana Del Rey merch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's catch up with the blue tribe, the Ika tribe, who we didn't see last episode because we've got some interesting dynamics going on there. Remember the last time we saw them, Drea was pulling together Swathi and Tori trying to get a girls alliance together and told them about her extra vote. And Swathi did not love that and privately told Tori, like, I want Drea and her extra vote out of here. So that's what we're dealing with. We've got Romeo also getting frustrated with Roxroy. This is a a story that dates back to episode one, where Roxroy is a bossy dad and everyone's just kind of going along with it so that they're not causing friction. This is where you get Romeo. Uh, Oh, this is the montage that Romeo cues. Romeo cues the montage of Roxroy and he working together well. Um, but we do get another montage later of Swathi telling everyone that they're And I feel like that one. second montage worked was a lot more effective because it's like, mm-hmm. I know what the show wanted out of this Romeo montage of like him being the maestro and everything. However, they just didn't really have the footage to support it. Yes. Whereas the Swathi <laughs> one later was so impressive because at first I was like, oh, she's going to say things that are essentially, you're my number one. But no, no, no. They had three instances of her saying verbatim. And I was like, that is a really effective use of montage. Totally. I had the exact same thought because when we saw this Roxroy montage, I was like, well, they're just working together. They're just right. collecting wood. It's not it's like, like you Roxroy's almost, like, yeah. hey, Romeo, pick that up. Romeo, right. do this. You wanted um, them to go to Swathi and be like, hey, Romeo had a great idea. Why don't you say, cue the montage? <laughs> So so Swathi's looking to gain more power in the tribe. She's still targeting Drea. She's talking to Tori about it and trying to decide, well, we need to bring somebody else in. So who are we going to bring in? And Swathi wants to bring Roxroy in. We've seen Swathi work with Roxroy in the past, especially on that first vote. But Tori, for similar reasons to Romeo, is like, I don't really want to work with Roxroy. Tori actually goes so far. Remember, Tori's a therapist very perceptive. She goes so far as to say that Roxroy may be a narcissist and that in her real life, she encourages people to leave narcissists. But in this case, she's got to stick with him. And I just feel like, you know, you know, when it they talk about, well, as a therapist or in my real life, I feel like some like a moment like this, it's not necessary. I, I don't think, look, I, I get that Roxroy is probably difficult to live with, but I don't think we need to be diagnosing people as narcissists on TV. He seems like a totally fine guy. We like that's a little extreme to me. Uh Roxroy is worried about potential advantages that might be in play and he's talking to Tori about this and Tori sees uh, I think an opportunity to advance Swathi's plan here because it's in this moment that Tori tells Roxroy well Drea has an extra vote you're worried about advantages I know where one is and I think that this was done in good faith and I think that Tori was really like saw the opportunity instead of 
letting Swathi go to Roxroy and pull him in and have it be a whole thing. She saw a moment, she seized it. And I think she personally, I think she made the right move. The problem was that Roxroy misread the entire situation and or didn't have the trust in Tori based on her track record to be able to take her at face value here. And so he just said kind of like, Tori's scrambling because she's on the bottom and now she's making up this shit about Drea and she's, you know, wanting to pull Swathi. And he's basically saying, oh, his perception now is that this is Tori's move. And maybe it was the way that Tori couched the idea, uh, how she pitched it, because if he got the impression that, well, Tori's going to pull Swathi in, like maybe Tori should have said, oh, you know, Swathi and I have been talking and actually we know that Drea has an extra vote. Why don't you work with us? I don't know what went wrong here, but it went wrong for Tori. Yeah. So he goes to Drea and tells her what Tori's up to. And Swathi's there when he tells her, which is so interesting. And then Drea is basically done with the girls Alliance, shortest lived girls Alliance ever. Drea tells Romeo about the whole situation as well. And, Swathi can't work with Tori. The whole thing is in shambles. And Swathi feels like she has to be very careful because she doesn't want anybody finding out that it was her plan all along. Hope that works out for her. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my only thought is it's just a really interesting dynamic that's created because as much as I think Swathi did a horrible job of enacting this plan, I understand the plan at its core, which is to say, I imagine that in her mind, she's thinking if Tori goes, it becomes a two, two, um, you know, with their tribe. And rather than, you know, risk that happening, she's saying, let me get ahead of things and secure a three, one so that, Mm. you know, moving ahead, I have a majority Alliance. So it makes sense, but it's, Interesting to me that she, I guess there there obviously is some loyalty to Roxroy here because if I were Swathi, I would have just gone to the other side and been like, let's just make this the three. But she clearly has this loyalty with Roxroy, but I feel like she should have realized this isn't going to work for me to align myself with two people that don't get along. I mean, the cracks were just mm. obvious. Neither of them liked one another. It wasn't like Tori really liked Roxroy, but Roxroy wasn't into it. They both had a disdain for one another. So I think it was odd for her to choose to go after the two who don't get along versus the two who clearly do, especially when we had her going to both Drea and Hi. Is it Hi? Or no, Romeo. Romeo. My gosh, there's so many. Okay, I'm going to be so excited once we get down to like 10 names. Okay, so then rather go uh, to Drea and Romeo, who she clearly has bonds with, and just say, hey, let's make this a final three. I just thought the gameplay was sort of strange on her part. Yeah, I agree. I think think she had the right idea in terms of the numbers game, but I don't know that she was playing it right on the social side. I mean, clearly not because yes. she didn't need to go to everybody and tell them you're my number one. That was not necessary because she had two options for a three and Romeo was in neither of them. She never needed to tell Romeo you're my number one. She gains nothing by doing that. Right. It's like she needed to go to Romeo and say, you and Drea 
are my final three. You know what I mean? It's like, you yeah. need to, it's not, I don't think we're at a point yet where you want to do number ones. I think you want to say, I'm with you guys, or excuse me, I'm mm-hmm. with you all at this point. Like, it's just a matter of, uh, you. yeah, you want to like create language that makes people feel like you're in it with them till the end. But I think you want to be really specific about how you phrase that in terms of whether it's a one or a small group, especially at this juncture of the game. Yeah, I'm also not sure that Drea's extra vote is enough of a reason for her to be on the outs. Like, I think that Swathi had a really good option that Drea pitched about the girls' alliance. I think that that could have really worked. And what what could the guys have done? I mean, maybe Romeo... I mean, Romeo has Drea's ear a little bit, but this was Drea's idea. So I think that, that it was a genuine pitch, and I think that that was probably Swathi's best option, and she has it in her head that advantage equals bad. And instead of trying to look at it as like, well, how can we use this advantage to our advantage in the game further down the line, it just seemed a little bit short-sighted. So yeah, I think, I think she just kind of made the wrong decision here. And then, and then she also had sort of the, the unknown, the question mark, Tori sort of going out and stepping into the front line to start enacting her plan. And maybe she should have put more parameters around when they start to pull other people in and how they do that because Tori wasn't the right person to do that clearly. Right. Also, I will just say having all of this play out before the immunity challenge made it very clear um, <laughs> where, where we were going. Um, but yeah. at the same time, I don't hate that. I understand yeah. that sometimes it's like, that's the sacrifice you make in order to get an interesting tribal. And I'm willing to make that sacrifice. But I do think that we could have gotten a little bit more balance in terms of at least some, maybe a check-in with the other tribes. But yeah, certainly say, a it check-in. created yeah. an interesting circumstance. Certainly a check-in with the Green Tribe would have been nice because the only time we saw the Green Tribe this episode was the night of Tribal. We didn't actually see right. them in, in this Which very round. much felt like taking care of last episode's business. It yeah. felt, yeah. Yeah, we got nothing to progress their story. Um, and like, you know, it's interesting here because when we go to the immunity challenge, Mike is still not saying his phrase, even though Marianne's saying hers. And what's to say that... There's not somebody on the blue tribe who also has the idol who's also waiting for both phrases to be said. And they're just at a stalemate where nobody has a vote and nobody has an idol because nobody wants to say it. I mean, that's not the case yet, but it could be. So wait, remind me, though, if no one says the phrase upon the merge, the idols automatically activate. Yes. Okay. It's so silly. Okay. But but it means you don't have a vote until the merge. Right, right, right. right which right. in these small tribes is going to become an issue. I mean, it already has. So let's go to the immunity challenge where um, they are going through an obstacle course in the water. And they're ending it with a fish puzzle. I don't think there's a whole lot to say here. Jonathan's ripping through the water. Lydia, <laughs> big flop jumping for her key twice and missing. Unfortunately, I think she tweeted that it was her big fat ass. And um, <laughs> If anyone's but, not following her on social, she is, her and Hi are by far some of the most enjoyable survivor players on social media. I just love the sense of humor and I feel like they 
They are giving what I want out of a survivor player on social. I will say that. Yeah. It's a real shame that Lydia's a little bit purpled so far this season. I mean, she's had stories around her. Obviously, she was the target of the vote last week. But she ha- we haven't really gotten her point of view a whole mm. lot. And it kind of sucks because I thought they would lean into her a lot based on her social media presence. But not the case yet. Maybe next time they go to tribal because there's only so many people to show us <laughs> in that tribe. But it, what was interesting was here was like Lydia jumped twice to get her key, couldn't get it. And so Chanel just jumped for her. I thought that that was kind of surprising. Like once again, going back to uh, why I like a one-on-one challenge, especially in the tribal phase, is that s- there's a spotlight on somebody. And I think I really like in a challenge where the progression of the challenge hinges on one person in the tribe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if they said, Lydia, you have to get this key, right. no matter how many times you have to try, because Chanel got her key. There's two keys to collect. Chanel got hers. Lydia, you have to keep trying until you can finally get it. I like those moments. And so I'm totally aligned with you, except for this particular instance in that, if you notice on both times, Lydia was nowhere close to that key. I know. And and I don't think it was a matter of her athletic prowess so much as just her being too short for where the key mm. was. I could be wrong, but my sense was that this challenge was physically impossible for Lydia. And so I guess I would be curious. I mean, we will never know, but I did get the sense of like the, the, just seeing her like lack of making any, um, getting any closer on that second try. Um, I do feel like I agree that I, I like those challenges as well, but I do think there are instances in which it's just like, if you can't reach it, you can't reach it. I'm reminded of something that happened. There's a challenge on Winners at War in which I think it was Adam couldn't reach something. Um, but this has happened before where it's like, it's just out of reach for certain people. So anyway, yes, yeah. but fundamentally, I agree that I do like when it's sort of like, we all need to wait on this person because I also think that those moments give you a lot of character building, not just from the person, but also in the tribe, whether or not they're a cheer you on until you finish kind of tribe mate or whether or not they're pissed off. You kind of get a lot out of that. Well, it's like, remember, let's talk about Heather because she had something that she had to do. She had to be able to catch that ball after throwing it in the track and she could not, she physically could not do it. And it was a moment of great inspiration for Jeff, but it's also a moment where the tribe was able to react to her. Sydney was not impressed. Right. Danny was very comforting. Like th- we get to, we get to see. Well, where does Lydia fall in this tribe? She was just the target of a vote. Is Mike, who says that he's now aligned with High and Lydia, is he going to support her? Or is he going to say, you know what, I'm second guessing this alliance to High and Lydia. Maybe I want to go with a High and Chanel. Or like there may be some fallout from that. And what is the point of challenges if not to have some sort of impact in the game outside of are you going to tribal? Are you not going to tribal? I think that there's a really, really big opportunity for challenges, which take up a a big chunk of the episode to actually have an impact in the social game as well. And I'm not, it's not saying that it it can't happen because yes, Lydia did sort of like waste a lot of time for them with these two attempts. And so that, that it could still be the result, but it seemed to me they just really wanted three tribes making that puzzle at once so that they could get a really close call like they did. So I don't know. It is a small gripe. But 
Okay. <laughs> Let's get to it. The uh, first tribe to finish, of course, is Taku, as usual. And then it comes down to a very, very close game between Vati and Ika. And Vati ends up winning out in the end. They do come back from behind, uh, despite Lydia not being able to get that key twice. And the blue tribe, Ika, falls apart and they lose. And they're headed to tribal council to the surprise of no one. So let's get to some strategy here where Roxroy wants Tori out. Tori tells Romeo that Swathi is the one who is scheming, which is true. Tori is telling the truth to Romeo here because I feel like Tori knows that there's a fire under her ass and she's in trouble tonight if she doesn't if she doesn't expose Swathi's game. But that was such a smart move on Tori's part because I think a lot of other players would and you know, you saw that moment in her where she hesitated right before she responded as far as like do I tell a lie or do I tell the truth? She ultimately told the truth, and it was a good truth to tell because Tori didn't do anything wrong. Like, her back is up against the wall, as everyone knows, and so she's playing the game of Survivor, right? Which means that, like, sometimes you have to pick an alliance to go with, and I thought it was really smart of her in that moment with Romeo to be like, yes, this is, I'm exposing my game to you. It pre My previous gameplay did not benefit you but I'm having this conversation with you now in the hope of exposing like th those choices that I was thinking about making because I'm willing to realign right now. And part of that, part of that realignment is I'm going to be honest with you about the choices that I made in the hope that you understand that my commodity moving forward can be my honesty. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said about like, yes, loyalty is important and blah, blah, blah. But honesty in a game like this, huge. And I think that that's ultimately, I think that that conversation and Tori's ability to convince Romeo of her genuineness is what flipped this vote. Mm, interesting. Well, there's also the scene where Romeo, Drea, and Tori come together and they swap Swathi stories where they're like, oh, she oh, she told you that you're her number one because she also told me that. Oh, she also told me that. So it's like a classic case of people getting together, sharing information, and finding finding the lie. Right. You also, there was just a couple of shots of Drea laughing with Tori that made me think that her exposing the extra vote thing to Roxroy, I don't think was that consequential in the mm. end. Like, I think they either had a chat about it that we didn't see in which it was sort of like, hey, my back was up against a wall. I had to offer up this information. And ultimately, Roxroy knowing about Drea's extra vote, like, doesn't it didn't put Drea in any like actual danger. Um, I, to be honest with you, I was surprised that he didn't already know. I thought that the whole tribe knew, but I guess that was not the case. But anyway, this to say that I thought Tori played that really well because there's also a world in which she overplayed that moment with Romeo and Drea mm. and was so eager to like expose Swathi that they kind of were like, well, wait a minute. She's just doing this because her back's against the wall. She played it in a way that I felt like she convinced them that she was not doing this because of circumstance, but because she actually was second guessing working with Swathi, even though she didn't really have any option. But I, I thought she played that really well. I thought it was fascinating that throughout all of this finger pointing between Tori and Swathi, no one ever mentioned Drea's Girls Alliance pitch, which is how this all started. Right. And that would have really exposed 
Drea to be potentially in trouble with the boys, and particularly Romeo, who we've seen kind of be her number one ally when it comes down to voting. And I, I'm just really curious about whether that came up and we just didn't see it or whether it didn't and why. I guess people, the way I read it is people are very comfortable with Drea and all but Swathi want to work with Drea. I mean, Tori was certainly entertaining the idea of getting Drea out because I think that she liked the big move that Swathi was pitching. But as soon as that fell apart, I think that Tori seems to have gone back to Drea and for whatever reason, whether there's some comfort there or they've built a relationship or she's just more predictable than Swathi, uh, people are are flocking to Drea. And I think that's really interesting. And then that we get Drea's point of view ahead of Tribal where she gives this speech about, you know, like being in business and closing deals and this is her million dollar deal. And if she makes the wrong decision between Swathi and Tori, this she could she could lose her million dollar deal. It was very reminiscent to me of last season, Liana's million dollar mistake. And I was wondering, is is this going to turn out to be is this going to be the million dollar deal or the million dollar mistake? And mm. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch play out. Stay because tuned. I don't know what the right answer was here. I th- I think that I think that she did do the right thing. I think that sending Swathi home was the right move because although Tori is messy, I don't think that she's unpredictable. Right. I also just think from the television show perspective, I'm just grateful to have more of Tori. I think she's a oh, really yeah. interesting character. And, I mean, to Swathi's credit, we got a lot out of her in those four episodes where she had a fully developed arc on the show. Mm-hmm. And I like that she was neither hero nor villain. It was sort of like Swathi was, like, young and and made some, you know, quick and maybe, like, thoughtless moves. But I also understood her logic in those moves, which I think is my favorite kind of depiction of a player where it's like they're not necessarily doing what I think is best for their game, but I'm clear on why they think the moves they're making are best for them. So I thought this again, going back to sort of like the good episode, great cast. It's like, I really felt like I had a sense minus Roxroy a little bit, but even still, I, I, I still think he's, you know, a valuable member of this team, but I just, I really understood all of the perspectives and it really felt like, to what you're saying about about um, Drea and like, could it go this way or that way being the million dollar decision? I really felt the weight of that. Like this is a pivotal moment in multiple people's gameplay um, that this that this vote will affect the game for them moving forward. That was like very clear. Yeah. And I really liked the way that this tribal played out where it sort of becomes this Swathi versus Tori thing where Swathi is... Basically saying, well, oh, Tor- oh, Tori has this big scheming idea to take out Drea. And and then it's Tori saying, no, 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 that's your idea. I just really like the butting of heads and and that people there have to decide how this is going to, who they believe and how this is going to play out. And in the end, they believed the person who was telling the truth, even if that person does come with some of their own issues. And I thought that Tori was fascinating to watch it. It was almost like a different person. I mean, she looked different. Her hair was different. And I just thought that her her public speaking skills, her tribal council persuasion skills, I thought were very good. Like, I thought she came off really, really, really well in this tribal. Yeah, I just, I feel like there's a side of Tori as, with her social game that we're not seeing. Because again, I just, I get the sense that like, 
her and Romeo and Drea have some good, like are able to have some good times hanging out, not talking about the game. That's just like the sense I get that there's like a Tori, the non-survivor game player that people already are connecting with and I think would bode well for her at the merge. Well, yeah, she and Romeo have seven volumes of Harry Potter to, to, to discuss. I mean, and you know, <laughs> did, did they tried the butterbeer, right? <laughs> okay. Okay, so time to vote. Once again, the target of the vote plays their shot in the dark. Swathi played her shot in the dark. I really thought that she was going to be safe. How long is this going to go oh on for God. before either people just stop trying to play? What I don't understand is it's a one in six shot, but I guess it's a one in six shot every time. I would love if for each tribe, once a shot is played, the scroll does not go back into the urn. Right. Did we talk about this already? I think we did. Yeah. Where the further you get into the game and the more shots have been played, the better chance you have to pull a safety scroll. And then you have to keep track in your mind of, you have to keep track of who's pulled what, what's still in the urn, and then what your chances are vis-a-vis what the risk reward could be if you play your shot. I think that would be far more interesting, but I think they're happy with the shot being played constantly. But what was interesting here is that in this case, unlike the previous two times this season that the shot has been played, it was not a unanimous vote. Roxroy actually voted for Tory, and I have to wonder whether he discussed this with Swathi and this was part of the strategy of playing the shot in the dark because I hadn't considered this before because in the previous times, it was a unanimous vote. The person played their shot and all other votes were on that person. I imagine that if they were safe in that situation, the entire tribe would re-vote. And Roxroy voting for Tory is a little bit of insurance here that if Swathi was safe, Tori would automatically go home. Right. Instead of having to like revote and then potentially Roxroy goes home if he's feeling like he could be on the outs. So that that was like an interesting little progression in the strategy of using the shot in the dark. Did you see Swathi's final words? I did not. Oh. So you don't know this? No. Oh my God. So. so- it's they funny you say s- that because I stuck around for the next time on. And then as soon as she started talking, I had that like moment of, should I, cause I like had to get ready to record this. Cause I finished the episode this morning and I had that moment of, should I watch this? And I was like, mm, there's, you never hear anything interesting out of these. And then cut to you telling me oh, this right now. Boy, they did her so dirty. So she's fourth person voted out. She says in her final words, well, Boston Rob was the fourth person voted out of his first season, so maybe you'll see me come back and win All-Stars. None of that is accurate. (laughs) Boston Rob was the seventh person voted out of his first season, and he didn't win All-Stars. Amber won All-Stars. Oof. It was rough. So she was getting dragged on Twitter for that, and then... (laughs) She was getting dragged... And she quotes some tweet or replies to some tweet and says, I got the, I got my Rob's confused. I was talking about Rob Sesternino. <laughs> Which is even more wrong. Yeah. Wow. Rob went further in his first season 
and came nowhere close to winning in All-Stars. So, look, I appreciate that she was attempting to bring up some Survivor history, but I can kind of sympathize with her because if I feel like I feel like if I was out there, I'd start pulling out these facts. And of course, they'd all be wrong because I have no access to the Internet, which I rely on for my Survivor fact checking. Okay, we have a couple of voice memos that I would like to get to before we wrap up here. Let's go to a question about Lydia, which I'm not sure I'm going to have a whole lot to say. Hey, Sean. Hey, Evan. It's Ian from Florida. Again, I know you're probably getting sick and tired of me sending these voice memos, but I wanted to hop on here real quick and say I thought this episode was a decent episode. Um, I think the most exciting thing about this episode was the challenge yet again. Jonathan just dominating and all that stuff. But I wanted to know, what are your thoughts in the future if Taku goes on this winning streak until the merge? Do you think they will stay together or will they split apart? Because from what Marianne and Omar were saying, it seems like they don't really want to stay loyal to their starting tribe. And another question, I wanted to know what your thoughts on Lindsay were, because you guys clearly just don't talk about her. So what are your thoughts on her? Does she have winner potential? potential or is she just gonna go pre-merge and be a flop um well one thing i'm not really i'm not in the business of predicting what will happen with uh pre-merge alliance excuse me pre-merge tribes staying together when after yeah because i just think it's like you never know what the dynamic is going to be i mean like it's like Jonathan can go into the merge and, or, you know, you have situations like Rob and Amber where it's like, they, you know, Jonathan might go in and, and fall in love with Drea and, you know, they're <laughs> off to the final two. You just never know. So it's, so it's just like, I think that you can have genuine loyalty with your tribe going into the merge where like your plan is to stick with them and then that all falls to shit. So nothing about that. And then Lindsay, I didn't even know, I don't even know who that is. I'm going to guess that that's the, <laughs> that's the, the woman on Jonathan's tribe as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I have no thoughts. No thoughts. She's no thoughts. so purple. I, like the, actually they've done quite well at not purpling anybody this season. Lindsay has gotten a handful of confessionals. She has an amulet, which she earned in the first challenge of the season. But considering that she is an amulet holder, along with Hi and Drea, who we are getting to know very well, Lindsay is invisible. All I know about her is that she's not crazy about Marianne, doesn't hate her, but not crazy about her. That's not a story. <laughs> so I don't feel like Lindsay has winner potential to answer the question at all. I think that if Lindsay was winning in the editing of this, I know, I know that at this point we didn't know who the hell Erica was last season, but I feel like they have corrected a little bit of their editing issues with this season. And considering that we've gotten content from Lindsay and we don't remember what it's about, it's not a good sign for Lindsay. And yeah, I think also we talked about, I did talk about what might happen at the merge with Jonathan if Taku gets there. It will be interesting to see how Jonathan's able to navigate the post-merge game, if at all. Okay, let's play one more. Hi, Sean and Evan. Uh, love the pod. This is Callan from Winnipeg. Um, I'm liking this season, but uh, I'm really surprised by the amount The Shot in the Dark has been played. Um, so I guess my question is, I'm wondering how much 
uh, influence you think production has had in that? Because I find it really bizarre that it's been played, you know, three times already, and these people only need three votes to stay. It seems like the odds are against them in this scenario. So I have a suspicion that um, production may play a part in this. And yeah, I'm also wondering your thoughts on how it's been presented, because I feel like it's in the game to build tension and create moments, but I found it really underwhelming. So yeah, I'm wondering your thoughts on that. And yeah, I love everything about the pod. I love your takes and I will absolutely keep listening. Thanks. This is a really good question because I do feel like they have not figured out how to present the shot in the dark to us. It is not dramatic. (laughs) It is not suspenseful. The change that they've made from the player opening their scroll to Jeff opening their scroll, I actually don't like that change. I kind of preferred reading the player's face as they read the scroll. It feels like it feels like a desperate move. You have to it has to be a very desperate move to play your shot. And to see that literally unfold in front of their eyes is more dramatic for me than Jeff just turning around a piece of paper both though i think could be improved upon like if uh, the shot in the dark is a die and so maybe if there was some aspect of rolling the die instead of pulling a scroll Mm. out of an urn that could be a little bit more dramatic if they've got like the camera set up at tribal and they do it in front of everybody it's a little hokey but like there there could be something there that or they get those you know those that big pair of dice they have on the price is right. And they roll them. <laughs> they could have that at tribal council. I don't know what the answer is, but yeah, I definitely think that it could be improved upon. And I absolutely 100% think that production is influencing the use of the shot in the dark, whether that's during confessionals saying, Oh, well, yes. So, so you don't have this person. You don't have that person. Well, you've always got your shot in the dark. You know, are you bringing your shot in the dark to tribal? And you know, I think they can nudge people towards thinking a certain way. And the fact that we've gotten so many in one season suggests that they have. Mm. I have no thoughts. <laughs> I just think it's a flop. I think it's a huge flop. And it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. Do we want the shot gone altogether? Yes. It just doesn't. And uh, well, yes, unless. If we see it used successfully, and I think successful would have to be that you have a beloved, like fan favorite player. It's like, I'm trying to think of like a situation in the past where like you would have wanted it, where it's like, okay, like Suri in Game Changers. It's like, you want like a situation in which it's like someone's been done wrong and like this is like their uh, vindication. But like for a season like this in which there's not, I think you needed the shot in the dark back when there used to be heroes and villains. Yeah. I think if Sari had played her shot in the dark at that (laughs) tribal in Game Changers, it would have been the first tribal council in history where everybody is safe. Hey. And they just get sent back to camp. No, it's like Jeff just like self-evicts. He's just like, well, someone's got to go. It's me. (laughs) Okay. With that, let's wrap it up. Uh, Make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. We have an incredible, iconic guest that we are interviewing next week. That should be out next week. In the meantime, Ricard and I are 
recapping Australian Survivor. I believe the finale of that is this weekend. So that will be wrapping up next week. In case you missed it and you're watching Australian Survivor, we interviewed an incredible player from that. That will be in the feed that came out a couple of days ago. Thank you for all the excellent feedback on that. If you are not following Drop Your Buffs on Instagram, go follow at Drop Your Buffs Pod. Comment Blue Jeans if you want merch. I don't know how we're getting it or what it looks like, but well, you know, yeah. early days, early days. One foot in front of the other. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With that, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.